the collective noun for worms is bed, bunch, clat, or clue. A clue of worms. Welcome. Good afternoon. This is our. This is not our normal time. So adjusting to the the light in my office and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I'm Sarah Miller from Westnet here with John Pedersen, also from Westnet, and our guest today is Diane Dorsch. You may know her as the former um, Chief Technology and Information Officer for Green Bay Area Public Schools, and she is now the um, Technical Project Director Director for Digital Promise at the Verizon Innovative Learning Schools Program. So Diane, first of all, tell us what that even means. <laughs> tell us what you're up to. Does that job description accurately describe your work right now? And what are you up to these days? Well, sure. First of all, I wanna thank people for taking the time to come and join us for the chat, um, especially if it's at a time that you normally don't have the chat. Um, yeah, I am a technical project director for the Verizon Innovative Learning School and you're in schools and you're right, it's like, well, what does that mean? Um, I think my experience as a former uh, chief technology and information officer has helped me with this because um, the VILS project is part of something that Verizon um, uh, provides uh, regarding social impact uh, projects and they've hired Digital Promise uh, to help implement that. And so I work for Digital Promise and the project we work on is called VILS, Verizon Innovative Learning Schools. And what we do is, is um, that Verizon provides LTE enabled um, Chromebooks or iPads to under-resourced middle schools throughout the United States. And uh, something that makes us different from other programs that give out devices uh, is that we also provide professional learning. And you know that's something that uh, really supports school because the technology is only part of learning, right? Um, you need the professional learning, your teachers to transform their teaching in order to really make a difference. So we provide pro professional learning as well as um, sustained technical support. And so that's the division I work in doing the technical director type things and that we work collaboratively with the um, IT leads in the school district to make sure, you know, filters are working correctly uh, to make sure that, that we've got the right number of devices, you know, all those types of things on the technical side um, that, that are required for this program. So it works out well. Um, it kind of works off everything I've done as a classroom teacher, director of technology, and a chief technology and information officer. Question for you. Um, go back to where you were. We introduced you as the, as the former chief technology and information officer for Green Bay. But what was your uh, path before that? Yeah, I was a classroom teacher. I taught fourth and fifth grade, and then I um, taught computer applications at a middle school. Um, and this was all in Nina, Wisconsin. And um, then I became a technology leader in Nina and then a director of technology. I served as a director for um, four years. 
And then uh, there was an opening for a new position in Green Bay called the Chief Technology and Information Officer. Uh, and so I applied for that and I uh, served six years uh, in that role. But um, I'm an only child. I'm a farm kid from central Wisconsin, Iola, Wisconsin, home of the Midwest's largest car show. Uh, and uh, my parents are retired farmers who were trying to keep out of assisted living. And so turning 55 over at Green Bay allowed for um, some options for me. I could retire and move closer to home. So uh, my husband, a former eighth grade earth science teacher in Nina, uh, retired last spring. We bought a house in Iola uh, and uh, now we are the assisters in assisted living for my parents. We live four, four minutes away. Um, the job, you know, I, I loved my job, but I didn't miss, you know, the 40 minute commute up dangerous highway 41. Um, and I didn't miss the drive home after late board meetings that last to 1030 or 11 o'clock a few times a month. Um, but I, I do miss the, the students. I do miss, um, you know, raising great leaders and my contributions to district leadership. And so, um, you know, I was looking for something that would allow me to work remotely and still do the things I want to do. And some former colleagues that you, my Wisconsin friends, may recognize, Mike Modest, formerly Director of Technology in Sun Prairie, as well as, um, as Betty Watrang, uh, Director of Technology in Verona, um, both worked for Digital Promise Verizon Innovative Learning Schools. I kept an eye on them uh, when I knew they left their districts and went to Vils. And uh, so when I was thinking about how might I uh, continue to do what I love, but in a remote setting, um, you know, I looked Mike and Betty up and sure enough that, you know, uh, helping undersourced school districts uh, get devices that help be help them be more equitable to all students so all students can learn if they don't have Wi Fi in their houses. Um, they can learn that fit within my value system. And so I feel fortunate to land at Digital Promise. But um, we've probably, most of us have had a little bit of experience now working from home, um, at least part-time throughout this the pandemic piece. Um, was it an easy transition for you? I mean, this, this you, you moved moved into this position before all of this happened, but uh, tell right. us like, you know, was it easy, hard? What did you learn? What did you expect? What surprised you? You know, what I, what I most found out is that, um, you know, if you have LTE access in your area, you can work from almost anywhere. I've worked um, from a field in my parents' backyard. Um, I've worked, I've, I've broadcast from a four-wheeler driving through um, our woods when we were testing uh, devices that we might potentially use in the district and things. And so, you know, that, that notion of you have to go to an office to do your work um, really changed in my head. Uh, it opened some, some new things for me. Um, you know, I, it is mostly remote work. Uh, before the pandemic, um, you know, caused this change in lifestyle, uh, I was working remotely. And then we also 
visited schools uh, who were part of our program or that we were vetting to be part of the program. And so I would be traveling, you know, maybe once a week sometimes uh, and just living, you know, 10 minutes from an airport that wasn't too bad. Um, youngest daughter is now a senior in college. So, you know, we're empty nesters and things and my husband can take care of himself. So being away um, wasn't that bad. But then as the commitments toward parents became more, it got to be a little more difficult. So I can't say, you know, the pandemic has cramped my style because it does allow me to work remotely now and fit in, you know, what my parents need. I, I cook meals, you know, every supper time I'm over there delivering their meals. I am meal, Meals on Wheels uh, and other things. Um, so I can fit that in. But, you know, you can fit those responsibilities in. Uh, this remote job does utilize the skills that I've, I have done in the past. And so I think that's cool. Um, in this little corner of my living room, because this house is only 750 square feet, um, I've talked to people, you know, in Australia who have started educational technology companies and want advice on how to break into the market. I've talked to leaders of the FCC as we work toward uh, more equitable access for kids in, in uh, rural areas or hard to reach areas where it costs a lot of money to get access to. Um, I've talked with you know, people associated with Congress uh, regarding large policy bills and things. So I guess you know, the lesson is that this remote environment has enabled everybody to do things that maybe we had thought in our mind before you had to travel to, but you know, we found ways to do things from, from home. But other things like having your schedule available um, for everything means that sometimes I've got 12 meetings a day because we work with all four time zones. And so that could be rising early in the morning and working constantly until the end of the day. Um, you know, at least when, when I was physically attending meetings, I had some time to get up and run down the hall to my next meeting, maybe take a nature break, all those things. But in a re remote environment, it seems like we sign off one meeting and then just join another meeting, right? And so self-care is pretty important in, you know, I, on my iWatch, I've got my little stand application that reminds me to stand up. I invested in the stand-up desk and all those types of things just as self-preservation. I guess. So those are the good things and maybe not so good things about remote work sometimes. Even the, uh, here at Wisnet, we've, some of us, a small chunk of us have returned to the office here. And, and even there now, it feels like you have to do the same thing. You have to do some self-preservation stuff. Um, probably a little bit something every day just to make, just to shake things up a little bit, uh, give myself a little challenge. Um, do something fun because yeah i mean we it even though it's like in the office and it might seem like it's normal it's anything but uh, you know we kind of see each other every once in a while here but um it's pretty quiet if i can well, ask I, if, if i can ask what is um what does it look like being a, a senior in college for your, your yeah. daughter right at this point <laughs> well this is interesting um 
And this is part of being young too, I guess. Um, yeah, she is a, a film major. And so again, being able to do your work remotely is a possibility, right? As long as you have decent internet and a processor on your laptop that can keep up with the work you're, you're doing. Um, she's actually talking about going to Belgium right after graduation. She and her boyfriend um, have traveled to Europe before he's pretty versed at uh, traveling to Europe and um, they have someone where they can stay in the backyard in their little cottage for a few months. And so that's what they're going to do. And I, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's a great thing to do um, when you have the opportunity. So, you know, the nature of work is so that potentially you can still do your job um, and so she might pick up something in filmmaking or she just might pick up something to help her survive. But, uh, you know, being a graduate in college at this point, I think the options are still open. But again, taking that time that probably a bunch of us wish we would have done between college and uh, work life is something that she's planning on doing. So I'm kind of excited for her. It'd be fun. I'll put this in the notes, but one of the one of the cool stories that I've seen come out of this pandemic is um somebody I follow on social media, um, Adam Lizagor, who most of you probably don't know who he is. Um, but he's a he's a a film person uh that does kind of low to medium professional commercials and and has a company out in LA that does this. And one of the things that they did um, they realized that it was going to be hard to shoot commercials in the pandemic. So they've kind of pivoted their business to like being remote film people, like helping people with, you know, shipping gear and all that other stuff to them so that they can make commercials for themselves. Um, I'll throw it in the notes. It's a real interesting concept and um, just kind of one of those things about how you, how you work through all of the issues of, of working in this, in this world now. Sarah, you go. Yeah. Um, thanks for mentioning self-care, Diane. I think that's really, I think I could, like, we could talk every show about self-care and <laughs> kind of do. Um, but, but I mean, I, I think, tr like, you, you kind of got a, a double layer there. Like, not only are you working from home and trying to survive a pandemic, but you're a caregiver, right? And that even in, even in the best of times, that, that takes a lot out of you. My mom and I share um, caregiving duties for my grandmother. And I've, I've just understood better and better over the years, especially as I also became a mother while trying to take care of my grandmother, like how much it really requires. Um, and of course it's something that I want to do for her because I, I love her and that's a way that I can honor the incredible life she's had and all the, you know, things in my life I've had because of her. Um, but it is also a, a lot, it's a lot. Um, so I love talking about, self-care around the idea of caregiving because I think we just don't talk about it enough in our culture. Um, but aside from that, I wanna hear about the most interesting thing that you're seeing right now and, and, and take that as broadly as you want out there in, in the landscape of, of your current work or, or the way that things are and what's really catching your attention right now. Um, part of the VILS program is that uh, we're screening right now, we're, we're screening potential schools to be part of our program. And so, you know, pre-pandemic, we would have gone to the school and we would have, you know, talked to students and we would have talked to teachers, the principal, family engagement coordinators. 
Um, and then we would go into some classrooms and observe and see what, what they're doing. And so now in this pandemic world, how did we convert that reality of you know, the past into something that helps us get a good grip on what's going on in the schools? And so we have actually been joining classroom visits as well by popping into uh, different classrooms, of course, with the permission of, of the schools and just observing. And I have to tell you, for those of you who have not witnessed this, maybe you have kids who are in a virtual remote learning situation or, or maybe you teach yourself in a remote situation, but the grace and the fluidity that I saw these teachers teach with was incredible. They're showing a movie clip. They're underlining, having the kids underline parts of speech. They're um, using class dojo to give additional points for you know, uh, kids who are answering the questions or participating. They're, they're doing all this seamlessly while in the background welcoming me in a private message to the classroom and asking if they should stop to introduce me. And I said, no, we don't want to interrupt at all and trying to get kids into the classroom who are texting her and saying that they have a hard time getting in. How does a teacher manage all those things? And so as an observer, I was not only watching her, but I was watching the students and they were engaged and they were participating and they were smiling and, and being kids. And so, you know, I think that we, we see little parts of it, right? On the news, you see, oh, kids talking in a classroom and then the teacher um, drops off and the kids have a conversation about where <laughs> she is and they keep learning and decide they better be good because the teacher can watch them. But this goes on all the time in classrooms. And I, I think that teachers just aren't, you know, the story hasn't gotten out. The good news has not gotten out about the really cool things, the transformative things that are taking place. Um, the pandemic kind of nudged, <laughs> nudged us. And I think you'll find people who look at the glass half full, but other people who look at the glass um, half empty. And so, or, or the other way around, I should say. Um, and, and the optimists have hope and they're transforming and they're coming up with new ways and workarounds. And so when people say, when things get back to normal again, do we really want them to get back to normal or do we want to, as a timestamp, take this and move forward with the way we teach and the way kids learn and the way everyone is engaged. So I think that's been the most interesting thing I've seen is that you know, teachers find ways to make things work and they do it with grace and humility and they learn from their, um, their gaps that they recognize and they modify and move on and all without skipping a heartbeat when they talk to the kids and love kids the way they do. We, uh, we're setting up a whole bunch of of these of these interviews here and every once in a while a teacher's name comes up and we say let's just give them a little bit more time to get you know settled in i don't want to i don't, I don't want to make anybody's life more of a challenge than it is already um but i'm definitely interested in in hearing from teachers about how it's going the other one too and, and this is something the question that i've started 
I'm going to ask it of each one of our board members in a meeting tomorrow. Um, but what is one thing you take forward out of this? And what's one thing yeah. you're going to leave behind? And I I, I'm really you. interested in that. And you're just saying that too. It's like, there are some pieces we can take forward. There are some pieces we're going to leave behind. Um, and we're all going to learn a little bit more um, about the way we work, about the way we learn. Um, yeah. Not ideal, but um, just get used to it. Yeah, that ability to pivot um, from the different learning scenarios of, you know, kids in class, a hybrid model, kids at home and in class and completely remote. You know, I, I think you have school districts are going to need to have that ability. Um, I have I have been part of a committee here in Iola Scandinavia schools and they set benchmarks as to when they're going to decide when they're moving to the next um, the next learning setting. Right. And they provide that five days in advance so so families can accommodate um, you know the revised school schedule or whatever it may be and I really think that having that flexibility is something that everyone's going to have to do. Uh, Broward County is um, incorporating these large bars um, that hook to their USB um, and they have a camera that tracks and so they want to start using that in classrooms so that it can accommodate the kids not only in class, but also at home. So that hybrid learning um, can take place. And so no one feels left out, the kids at home or the kids at school. So yeah, everyone's you know trying different things and hopefully the good stuff sticks um, with this and the not so good stuff from the past and also now um, you know, has solutions if we all work together and share our experiences. Give us a description of, of Iola and tell us uh, what does K-12 look like there? Well, let me look first. Is anyone here from Iola? <laughs> um, um, well, I think they've got like 1,300 students. I see, um, hey, Jeremy's on here from Green Bay. Um, and uh, Green Bay had about 21,000 students when I was there. So you know, being in a small environment and talking with the committee, you know, about how many teachers they have uh, versus, you know, when I was in Green Bay, there, there are big differences. Um, and I recall when I moved from Nina, even to Green Bay, you know, I would bring things up to Green Bay and my, my team of IT people would say, you think you can make that, that turn that fast? Because it's not going to happen here in this large district. There are layers that you need to go through. Whereas in a smaller district, I could pivot more quickly, right? And <laughs> I'm sure in Iola being even a smaller district, those pivots are there. But um, again, I think that you know, seeing, seeing the community involved, uh, they've got a beautiful fitness center that the community has built. Um, perhaps y'all recognize the name Chet Krause, uh, Krause Publications, he passed a few years ago, but um, his legacy is still here uh, regarding things he helped create or probably is helping sustain still now. So it's a great community in which to live. Is, is the schooling there right now um, all online, hybrid, all face-to-face? -face? Uh, the secondary kids are learning at home okay. and the elementary kids are in school. Excellent. Excellent. Speaking of taking taking forward and leaving behind, have have you guys heard anything about now? There's never going to be snow days anymore because now that we know how to do this, like now we can just 
if it's too dangerous to drive to school or to get on the bus or to wait for the bus, then just hop on your computer and your teacher will be will be ready to do that for you. But no, the end of snow days. <laughs> As a parent, I don't want the end of snow days. <laughs> oh, I, I love me some snow days. Okay, now we're going to get to the serious questions. Um, you fish. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, first of all, back up. Um, you know, so I, I've known you for a long time and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the social media things start crossing and I don't know how many years ago right now, but you were on a pretty good thread about, um, worm farming. Oh yes. Sarah's interested in worm farming. Yeah. We've been talking about like waiting to talk to you for weeks. Basically. <laughs> so <laughs> not about anything real. I want the worms. John wants the kayak. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to the kayak, but we got to back up first and start with the worms. Um, but also, also the farming piece too, because I think at one point you said something about, you know, next year you're going to try some small scale farming um, in your new location there. Tell us about where does that come from? Now, you mentioned earlier your parents, um, retired farmers. You grew right. up farming. Right. Worm farms. Um, yeah, I think that's that's because you and I were face. Well, you still are Facebook friends. And um, so, you know, in the city when it rains really hard um, and the worms come out. And so my husband and I walked every morning through our subdivision and you know, having to pay what two, three dollars for a, a little thing of worms at a gas station is not that appealing to me when you can just pick them up on the sidewalk, get your sour cream container and carry that along with you and just start scooping up worms. Um, and then, you know, as time went on, because that those days only happened like once or twice a year, and it would be enough for us to get a whole um, fleet a whole family, a whole, I don't know what you call a gaggle of worms. <laughs> I think it's a murder I, I of worms. Of worms. Ooh, I'm going to Google it. <laughs> and another thing here. about them is that when you put a whole bunch in a sour cream container, they get all slimy and it makes for a really dramatic photo. And so <laughs> that was part of the reason I'm always documenting, like picking up worms, because it, it's just kind of a unique thing to highlight on. I don't think everyone's Facebook feed has worms on it. And so um, we are very frequent visitors to Fleet Farm and you can buy the Styrofoam Worm Farm that has a cover and it's got um, holes on the top so air can get in. You can buy worm bedding, you can buy worm feed. And so um, that's what we did. And some years would be good years, other years wouldn't. We would keep the box in the basement so the, the temperature would be pretty consistent. And it would sure be nice to say, hey, we're going fishing tomorrow. I'm going to go get some worms from downstairs uh, versus having to pick some up at the gas station and put them in the fridge. So that's how worm farming began. And I recall, you know, wherever you go and when you when you tweet things out or have stuff on Facebook, people say, you know, oh, how's the worm farm going or whatever. And so through my travels, People would ask me about the worm farm. John always asked me about the worm <laughs> farm. And I actually connected with someone who raised worms in a bathtub, an old clawfoot bathtub that they had buried down in the ground a bit. So it kept cool. And that's where they kept their worm beds. So I thought that was a pretty good idea. 
So who I'm, knows? I'm here for it. <laughs> who knows what the future of, of worm farming will look like for us. Um, but, uh, you know, now that we are on a farm and have more land, we may have something in the ground and keep worms in it. Um, so that that's worm farming. And we, we had our high days and our, our high years and low years. And I think my husband vowed that he didn't want to do that. And we'd rather just go to the gas station and buy them. But now that, you know, he's retired and we could potentially have a tub of worms. I mean, how exciting is that? So I'll have to there, keep up with, with uh, Twitter for, for the next adventure on that. There, there is a farming fleet in Verona, 20 minutes down the road from me. So, and, and I'm homeschooling this year and this sounds perfect. I'm, I'm very excited. And um, the collective noun for worms is bed, bunch, clat, or clue, a clue of worms. A clue of worms, C-L-U-E? C-L-E-W, clue. who even knew that word existed? So everybody, Thank goodness you tuned in because we're <laughs> learning so much. A clue of this worms. is the, the real nugget of the WISA community conversation <laughs> the show. A clue of worms. You'll never forget it. So yes. so eventually, you know, there's the worm farming, but then the, then the Instagram feed um, started going a little bit more toward a small rowboat that you and your husband had. Yes. So... Yeah, because, you know, I can tweet stuff and I've done that. And again, I, I, apparently people all over the U.S., when they see me, they say, oh, I love your fishing pictures. Um, but then my kids got me into Instagram and I thought, well, that gives a larger audience. And I found a, a whole, a whole um, gaggle of people there uh, way into fishing. And so um, Instagram is kind of dedicated to my fishing adventures. But my husband and I used to have this little aluminum rowboat that we would haul down to our favorite lake. And um, there are no motorized boats allowed on it. And it's about a quarter of a mile uh, downhill to get to it. So you have to work to get there. And so a light aluminum boat, um, you know, that, that has uh, clamps onto some wheels is the best way to go. And then I would sit in it and he would row me around. I'd point to where I wanted to go. <laughs> he would row. And it was great together time. And he had his lawn chair in there and, you know, we pull out, you know, a cooler beer and it's all good. And it, it great time. Um, but then um, I, again, on my Instagram feeds, saw um, a female angler who was giving a tour of her kayak and I've taken a rowing kayak out fishing and when, when you're in the wind, you get blown all over the place and you just, you sit so low, you can't really see the surface of the water, all these other things. And so I, I was pretty enamored with her walkthrough of her um, Hobie Pro Angler 14. And so I looked it up to see, well, how much does it cost, first of all, and um, are there any retailers around here? So we got to see one in person the weekend before Father's Day at Shields in Appleton. And um, it was missing its pedals though. Someone had jacked the pedals. I mean, how do you walk <laughs> off with pedals out of a store? But this is a pedaling kayak then so that you can steer forward and back um, because you have steering on the side, you have a skeg, which straightens you out if you wanna do some, some fast pedaling to get um, somewhere in a straight line. And um, 
So I found someone up in Mozambique who had them and older models, so they cost less. And, and I bought my husband and myself one then so that we could kayak and fish because you know, you probably have a lot of friends who have kayaks and love to go out and look at the, you know, different lakes and the scenery and all this and that. But for me, it's like, there's no way I can be on water without fishing. And so this just, I wanted something I could stand up in and something that would be, you know, portable enough to get places. It does weigh as much as I do. So getting it down the hill is fine, but getting it up, I have been known to maybe lose my footing and be found under my kayak <laughs> at one point. Um, so my husband and I are working out better ways of, of teamwork in getting the kayaks up the hill. But um, yeah, that's my pandemic uh, self-care, I guess, because now, you know, hunting has started, bow hunting. And so he's out, out uh, doing that on the weekends. And before it got cold, I would just say, drop me off at the lake and come and pick me up later. Um, and I could spend a good six hours out on, out on my yak, um, just catching fish and releasing them, <laughs> catching fish, releasing them, uh, looking, you know, and enjoying the beautiful scenery and floating around. So are you, li are you listening to music or anything? Or is it, I mean, this is just kind of a nice oh meditative God, John, practice. You're like a lab rat. Some people just are quiet. <laughs> No, I, it, yeah, I am completely out there by myself, just floating around. I, and that's why I can't imagine six hours. I mean, you people are probably thinking I'm crazy being out there that long, but I've got two poles now. So I keep myself entertained. I've got one that has a worm on it um, that, you know, I try to hold, I don't have any rod holders. So I try to hold that. So I know when it's getting pulled and then I'm casting with with another one so i i keep busy oh fun 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 yeah you need some rod holders for sure yeah that makes all the difference you are right you have are you right. fallen out of the kayak yet in I the have water not fallen oh. out of the kayak i've fallen we've fallen out of the aluminum boat and that was something we didn't flip it um but yeah when my husband sets the hook sometimes he's a little too aggressive with the set <laughs> And so uh, we've gone over the edge a few times one summer um, and the crawling into a boat is, is kind of tough to do. Uh, and so with a kayak, they always advise that you do flip it and um, practice getting in into your kayak. I have not done that though. I do wear my life. I, you know, I bought one of those like where you pull the string and it puffs up. Um, I did buy one of those. So that's a little more portable and wear that all the time as well. I think if you've never experienced the difference between a, a regular kayak and like a sit on top, especially a fishing kayak, they're really different. Like I'm saying this for John's benefit, not <laughs> yours, Diane, of course. It's like a boat. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, it's very different than the sit inside where, you know, I highly, would highly recommend practicing rolling in that thing because you're going to do it eventually. So you should know how to get in and out of it safely underwater. But the fishing kayak is much more like you know, stand up and feel sturdy enough to be, to be on it without immediately going in the water. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people dive off the front of their kayak to go for a swim and get themselves back up. So oh. haven't done that yet. Little, I get a little squeamish in my lake because I've seen like, you know, these big turtles swim up and look at me with moss on them. And then they turn around and go back and, you know, I'm sure that's in every lake. Right. But 
yeah, I, I prefer being on top. <laughs> you, you catch, I, you show all the good bass, sunfish, all those other things. Have you caught anything really gnarly? Or is no. the lake small enough that it's just kind of like, you know, you got a couple of different species and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you catch your perch and you catch your, um, your, oh, what are they? Um, they're flatter silver fish. Um, but no, I haven't, Northern are, are just kind of gnarly because yeah. there's, they jump around, they squirm around so much and their lips are, are kind of tender. And so I usually, my husband usually does it and gets them off the hook and with a treble hook it, it gets tricky right because there's all this flailing around and you've got treble hooks getting stuck I got one stuck in my leg uh, wrestling a northern one time and um, then it I held it up by with my pliers on their lips but their mm -hmm. lips aren't that strong so that it ripped and then I, I have like this northern flopping around in my <laughs> um in my kayak <laughs> there might have been squealing going on as well <laughs> as, I, as I worked to push it out. I think I was trying to take a picture of it and yeah, bedlam broke out. So, um, nope. but no, I, I haven't caught anything gnarly in, in my little lakes. They're all touchable stuff. <laughs> so there's suggestion in the chat that the flat silver fish is a crappie. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Crappie. You are right. Yep, and little perch, little sunfish, little pumpkin seeds, you know, with a little orange dot and the yellow on the side. Love those. Um, and the bass, I love catching the bass. Um, Northern, once in a while. My husband um, is a caster. He doesn't use live bait at all. So that's always the trick. Are they going to go for the little perch today or are they going to go for a red um, lure? What will it look like? So it's always a puzzle to see what they go for. And for me, sometimes I've just pulled in, you know, my forgotten about um, pole that has the worm on it. And sure enough, there's a bass on it. Or uh, in the past, it's happened where I've caught a little pan fish, but then I got a big snag in my pole. So it takes me 10 minutes to undo that. So that fish is swimming around. I'll pull it in and I'm going, what the heck is going on? This has happened twice now a large bass has eaten that little fish. And if you've seen a bass's stomach, it's got kind of this thing that just sucks up um, the food. And so I was able to pull the bass into the boat because that fish was inside that bass's stomach and flipping around when I could, when I held onto the fish, um, like I could twofer. see and feel that fish inside it. So, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it is. It makes for a good story, I guess, and a good picture. <laughs> and a great picture. And you take great pictures. I appreciate it. It's, uh, social media is fun for some things and pretty horrible for a lot of other things, right, at this time. But uh, it's always good to wake up in the summer and the weekends and see some pretty pictures. So thank you. Literally none of us would have met if it weren't for social media and I wouldn't work for Wisnet. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, I can't, I can't dog it too much. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll get out of your hair. You get back to doing your thing. Um, Sarah, do you want to have a couple closing remarks? Yeah. Let my closing remark to Diane be, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really nice just to see your face and to hear your voice and to catch up with you. We've definitely missed you at Wisnet and 
you know, have wished you well in your, in your new jobby job. <laughs> um, we have a couple of interesting guests coming up um, for anybody who'd like to attend next week. We're going to be chatting with um, Joe Sanfilippo from Fall Creek School District. Um, I think the week after that, no, not next week. Next week we took off because of the election, I think. So the week after that will be with Joe. And then um, we have some guests coming up. Um, Mandy Freilich, um, who, has, who does some really interesting um, work on, on the side from her normal day job um, regarding like regarding education and trauma, which is really intriguing. Um, and we also um, have a couple other guests lined up that haven't confirmed, so I won't say anything. But our last guest of the year is going to be our own CEO, Dave Voice. So um, anybody who wants to join us um, for the next handful of shows before it's going to be the end of the year, um, please do. You can always check our website at wisnet.net um, slash events or just shoot me an email at sarahmiller at wisnet.net if you have any questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show. That's it for me, John, if you have anything else, thanks to everybody for being with us today.